Welcome to the Career Happiness Podcast. My name is Soma Ghosh. I'm a careers advisor and business owner. In this podcast, we're going to talk about what your career means to you and what uniquely defines your career and your version of success and what it means for you to be career happy at work and in your business. This podcast is for professional women who are looking to gain more within their career, to find a new job, find a new career, or potentially start a portfolio career or business. It's also for parents of teenagers who want to find out more about careers advice and information and feel like they want to help their teenagers to go off and pursue careers that they actually really, really want. And lastly, it's for business owners and people who want to start a business and feel inspired by their career and business collectively. So I hope that you enjoy this new season of the podcast and thanks for listening. Hello everyone, in today's episode, I'm going to be talking about what is it like to be a careers advisor. So... I really, really felt this was a necessary episode to do because I'm often asked, what what, what do you do from her? I know those of you who are probably very, very avid listeners of this podcast, you'll have a fair understanding of what I do in helping professional women with their careers and helping parents with careers. But I want to give a little bit more context around careers advice because I feel like this is a question I get asked a lot but also because I think there's a lot of miscommunication and misunderstanding about what careers advisors really 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 do and I want to nip some of that in the bud for you today but I also want to talk about my experiences as a careers advisor to really really build a picture to help anyone who may need support from me in the future or is thinking about going to maybe visit a careers advisor Um, in their school or college or if they have access to one somewhere. So I know that this um, podcast is a great tool for many of you. Many of you, you know, message me and tell me how it's helped you. But for those of you who may not be in a capacity or may not be in the right space to work with me, this could be a good kind of opportunity for you to really, really kind of understand what it is that us as careers advisors do. So I'm going to go back a little bit and talk a little bit about my experiences to build up a picture of what it's like to be a careers advisor and what we really kind of do as well. And I'm going to go back to when I trained as a careers advisor and I spoke very briefly about this in season one. I think it was episode 11 when I spoke about my career story Um, and I spoke about the fact that I did a psychology degree with criminology and then you know I had a gap and then I decided that I wanted to do a further study. I still couldn't figure out what it was but in the end it ended up being a PG dip which is a postgraduate um, diploma in careers advice and that basically gives you the training for our whole year in becoming a careers advisor and you get to learn very practical elements of how to um, interview um, people do careers interviews and also how to really really help a person find information advice and guidance and we're trained in a particular way through a variation of um, some psychological theories 
some um, counseling techniques and a mixture of different things in order to help guide us to help you the client um, be in the position that you want to and if you want to go further into this <laughs> I've mentioned Jennifer Kidd's book before and I'll put it in the show notes but to go into further um, context around this those theories that we learn the individual careers advisor will use a particular type of theory whilst assessing and interviewing said client and use different ways in engaging with them and talking with them so that they can help them with their career and there can be a process of kind of exploring within that careers interview then there's maybe a process of perhaps challenging the client if there are maybe some ideas or misconceptions about stuff and then towards the end of the interview which is normally about half an hour to 45 minutes um, what happens is based on everything that's kind of discussed you and the client will discuss various um, actions and goals that that client needs to go off and do um, and this can be done jointly with the careers advisor with them kind of helping a little bit along the way if the client needs that support but also the client coming up with the suggestions mainly of what they think they need to do based on the careers conversation and what then tends to happen and this is dependent on the institution and where you're giving the careers advice but usually the careers advisor will probably take some notes around what's discussed they may then um, also write some further notes about the goals and actions and there will be something that we process and that we write up called an action plan. So that is basically what a careers advisor does in a nutshell. Um, but it is a little bit more deeper than that because sometimes when we've worked with clients before, they have further questions. They want more information. They um, want to know more about certain things. So they may come back. And a lot of the examples I'm talking about, I'm talking about education examples um, when I was first became a careers advisor because I worked in education for about 10 years. And so a lot of the examples that I've given so far are around helping young people in education. So helping them with schools, careers advice, helping them with college, university, all that kind of stuff. And those were a lot of the things that we explored. But sometimes a young person really just wanted to have an opportunity to maybe discuss the fact that they're being maybe pressured into going into a particular career like medicine, which is a very common one, or law. And actually, they um, want to do something which is not at all linked to those careers. They want to do maybe something like drama or art and exploring um, how they could broach that without their being <laughs> fireworks in the household and sometimes that's something that I would explore with certain clients um, within a school context every single client was very different and there is no kind of wrong or right and I'm still kind of doing some schools work at the moment and every young person comes with different ideas about going to university not going to university apprenticeships all that stuff but in terms of the school experience what it was like um, is that I feel that um, I really, really always enjoyed giving careers advice and helping a young person and making sure that it was done in a really client-centric, client-focused way because that's the kind of approach and the theories that I use. And what I'll try and do is I'll try and put a link in the show notes so you can have a little bit more 
of an understanding what I'm talking about, but it's the person-centered approach, which is what I tend to kind of gravitate towards more. And my experience of working in schools was fairly positive. It was fairly um, balanced. And when I say fairly, it depended on the school. Some schools I've worked in um, have had brilliant head teachers and um, heads of years and people who have really, really focused on making sure that it was done in a very, very impartial way and they weren't letting their targets or their particular goals for the school get in the way. And some other schools I've worked in, it's been very much focused on the school and not... (laughs) And I'm going to repeat this and not on the individual. So a lot of the time when I worked in schools, the way that the students would be seen is, you know, the SEN children would be seen first or the people who might have a statement. So, you know, they're under Senko. Um, And that doesn't mean that they have, you know, very, very specific learning needs. It could just mean that they maybe have mild dyslexia or that maybe, um, you know, there is some issues with speech or something like that not anything where they have a statement but even if they didn't have a statement they'd usually be seen by me first in some schools so you know people who are on the same co-list would tend to seem first then you know things like people premium where maybe um they're getting some extra support or that you know um the school is given this target of making sure that those kids are given the opportunity to not only do further education but also to make sure that those kids are given extra help if need be because maybe they come from a lower income household or you know all of that kind of stuff that schools needed to fit in terms of their um, targets and then the other type were the people who and this was back in the day when I first started um, and I still think there is obviously that link to people premium you know risk of becoming neat so you know leaving school earlier obviously now since the government has put in the new law well when I say new it's not been that new it's been around for a few years now that children need to be in educational training up until the up until the age of 18 there is a lot more strictness around this but there are always some young people who slip through the net hair so if there was a child who was maybe bunking a little bit more or you know maybe not turning up or having a lot of absenteeism then those children probably would be flagged up more so there were certain processes that we had to follow but what I would find working in schools and um, you know I'm working in school at the moment and I'm really enjoying working in a particular school that I'm working in in central London it's a very nice school and um, they really really care and there's a lot of safeguarding in this school that I'm working in currently one day a week But what I will say is sometimes that has not been the focus in some of the schools I've previously worked in. The focus has really, really been about, oh, please make sure that this young person comes to our sixth form. Or, oh, yeah, can you just make sure that, you know, you really drill into them that they're going to have to go to college? And I've had to turn around and say to teachers, look, even if their predicted grades are such as this, I... It is not my role to tell them what to do. It is my role to facilitate their career ideas, facilitate their further education, you know, practices in terms of what they're going to pick. But it's not my job to tell them what to do. I can give them um, information on colleges. I can give them information on careers. And, you know, I can build up an action plan for them. But if they're not going to um, 
do it, then I can't do much about that. I had an incident in one of the schools I worked in where I was really not having a very good experience um, within this school. And I think a lot of the students who were a little bit misbehaved, not all of them, but some of them, some of them were really, really grateful to have a careers conversation with me, but some of them were very um, entitled and a little bit um, spoiled, if I can be honest. There was a girl that I saw who... We went through quite a lot of career ideas, actually. I wrote up an action plan for her. We, we did a lot of things. But she had some behavioural issues in the school. And as a result of the behavioural issues that she had in the school, she um, was a little bit, you know, she had a little bit of a chip on her shoulder. And I remember her coming to see me and we went through everything and she was very, very nice to me in the meeting. And I heard her talk to the head and say that apparently I didn't give her any information. Apparently, um, you know, nothing was said in the meeting, which was news to me. And her mum was sitting next to her. And instead of her mum saying, I'm sure that wasn't the case, or, you know, dot, 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 her mum and her just started laughing. And I remember feeling very, very um, surprised by this. And I was sitting behind, so I saw the whole thing. Um, but the reason why I'm sharing this as an example is the teachers didn't even say anything to say that I'm sure that Soma probably or Miss Ghosh probably did help um you know um we have like a template or we have this and this is what I mean by the experience of careers advisors in some schools they really really do not support said careers advisor um and that can be very very humiliating but also it can make us seem as though we're not doing our job properly and the impression that I think the head got is that I don't do anything all day because this young person you know who was incredibly misbehaving anyway in the school um said I didn't do anything at the meeting with her and that is also problematic because that's when you're allowing the young person to give their commentary because they're already quite entitled and they're already quite you know like I'm getting everything so I can just make stuff up um and there's no discipline there and I think the lack of discipline was contributing factor whereas when I had another situation with another young lady who was misbehaving um who her parent and her were having some issues even during the parents evening I remember um she came to me and I gave her lots of information and she was actually really fine in the meeting. So a lot of the time, I do think that sometimes parents um, are contributing factor to um, not allowing a young person to really, really fully utilize um, <laughs> the opportunities that they have. And I know that might sound really, really harsh, but when I'm saying this, I'm not saying this to blame a parent. I'm not a parent. I don't know how hard it is um there were some other factors involved with that girl which I won't go into but all I will say is that sometimes I have come across students who are very very entitled and when you do give them advice they don't have that respect um or that kind of inkling of oh you know this actually really really helped me and schools tap into that because schools see you as this kind of like like a TA they see you as somebody who is disposable and you know expendable and someone that just sits there near the library which is the stereotype that a lot of careers advisors have or like um near the bottom of the stairs somewhere you know a lot of people's offices have been near the bottom of the stairs before 
But going back to the kind of experience I've had, mainly it's been positive. Only in a few schools where the targets have been at the forefront and not the well-being of the student, I've seen these kind of incidents. In terms of some of the teachers I've worked with before previously, um, only in two of the schools I've worked in have I come across teachers who are a bit uppity or teachers who are not very um, approachable or easy to work with. Um, And it's the role of the teacher to interact with me so that we can help the child, definitely. But it isn't the role of a teacher to tell me how to do my job because I'm not going to be telling a teacher how to do their job. I can't. It's not my role. I haven't got a PDCE in the same way they haven't got my qualification. So overall, the school experience has been different and interesting for me along the way. And I'm going to continue to do schoolwork because I really do enjoy helping young people and working with them and supporting them. Um, It's something I'm really passionate about. And I do think that, you know, since the debacle that we had had with results day, you know, for A-level results in 2020, um, there does need to be more careers advice. But kind of moving on to that a little bit in terms of the experience I've had working with women, the careers advice that I offer is very much based around the person and what they want, as I've mentioned before. In terms of the professional women that I've worked with, it really, really is about helping them focus on where they want to go. And that doesn't necessarily have to be that they have to change their job straight away or they have to apply for a new job or they have to, I don't know, um, ask for a promotion right away or they have to quit their job. It can sometimes be that when a client comes to me, a professional woman, they actually are just feeling a little bit confused and overwhelmed by their work and they just need me to give them a little bit of reassurance more the guidance part of what we do in careers advice the counseling counseling through maybe a difficult period at work whether that be redundancy bullying maybe they feel like they're not being heard at work or they feel like they're just not being supported and they want some strategies and they want some tools in place to really really help them be confident at work so what I do with the women is kind of like a a more direct approach than what I would do with a young person and the reason why I'm explaining all of this is because I've had lots of questions thrown at me lately about what is careers advice what do you careers advice do and what is the difference between career coaching and I've spoken about this on the podcast before that a career coach is amazing so work with career coaches but their emphasis is really about the present yes they work with you to do smart goals like a careers advisor would But they may not go back to your past. They may not look at the influences that you have around you. They may not look about challenging you on certain things. There is a slight emergence of counselling as well involved in careers advice. So the sessions that I've done with women a lot, if they are maybe facing harassment or racism, we tap into that a bit more and we go into the feelings of that a little bit. But we also look at um, what are the solutions that they can build on to move forward from that. And that is where it's a little bit similar to the careers advice I would give to a young person. Because a lot of the time, sometimes young people come to me with questions or scenarios like, 
you know, and they're all very respectful, bless them. They always say, Miss, you know, like, I don't know what my final A level is going to be. Can you help me decide? Can we talk about that? And it doesn't mean that we have to make the decision there and then because I only have about half an hour to 40 minutes with them. But it is about discussing what they really enjoy and how that's going to help their career. In the same way, if I was to reference that when talking with a professional woman, sometimes the professional woman is asking me, so am I, I don't know if I should stay on and do the extra training for this MBA or should I just, you know, take like this kind of extra opportunity that I've been given because I've been headhunted for this job on LinkedIn. It's for a higher paying job, more commitment, but I actually feel burnt out and I still don't know if I need that. Should I take a break? So we will break down all of those things in a session. We'll go through that should she study for the MBA versus should she apply for a job or should she take a break? So that's what I mean. We really kind of go into the different scenarios to try and build up a solution so that they can feel better. It doesn't mean that they have to have the solution in that session, but it does mean we're able to brainstorm and come up with scenarios that are really, really going to help that person move forward. And I think... Within coaching, a lot of that does happen as well. But coaching is much more about the present and coaching is much more about really, really helping you to maybe perform a certain way. Whereas careers advice is centering around, as I keep on mentioning, and I've mentioned this on a few episodes already, IAG, giving the client information on said careers, giving advice if they've asked for advice in a particular way to talk about a topic that is relevant to them, not relevant to me, relevant to them, and giving guidance on how maybe they could go off on a career change or how maybe they could apply to college or how maybe they could do dot, dot, dot. And that's what makes it so unique and that's what we as careers advisors do. And yes, we do do a lot of research as well. I mean, I love doing research for clients. I love helping them. Um, It's something that I really, really thrive on. But one of the main reasons I do what I do is for me, and I've mentioned this before, my dream job was to be a psychologist. Um, In fact, it was actually to be a psychotherapist, not even a psychologist. And um, in terms of moving away from that, I realized that there was this career out there for me to become a careers advisor. And it has evolved and it's changed in so many ways by me having a business and also being a freelance careers advisor. And I do what I do because because I love learning about all sorts of different careers. Like I'm I'm really, really geeky and passionate about learning about all the different careers out there. And I'm always researching and always looking into things. It's just kind of what I do. <laughs> and that's essentially what a good careers advisor should be doing because there are so many jobs out there and it's our job to look into those jobs. But it's also our job to make sure that when a person is coming to us, we look at all the options. We're not limiting their options. We're opening their options and we're discussing and we're helping them. The last thing that I want to mention in this episode before I kind of wrap up is myths about careers advisors. And I've kind of mentioned a couple of them. <laughs> like I've mentioned that, you know, they're usually seen as like, you know, an admin or a kind of TA position or somebody who is not really that important and that also really really irritates me because someone who is a TA or someone who is an admin assistant or someone who is a secretary in a school is just as valuable as a teacher because they have to do such valuable work right and we also need to stop doing that in general to be honest we need to stop putting people 
into this person's position is less important than that person's position because a teacher might teach and a teacher may be part of a leadership team but without the business support and without the kind of administration support or the TAs that have to help people who may have special needs or other needs, nothing would happen, right? In the same way, a careers advisor in a school is essentially helping the process of a young person. I've worked in schools where there have been young people who, because they've applied to college, because they saw me early on, when they get their results day on GCSE results day, and it's not great. They know what they're doing. They know where they're going. They're not panicked. Rather than on the day they get a shocker and they're like, okay, I don't know what to do now. The thing is, though, is that times have changed a little bit as well now. A lot of colleges, you know, um, are a bit more open in terms of their spaces, in terms of their availability. But there are certain parts of London which are very overpopulated and oversaturated. So if a person has not applied and there are loads of places there, great. But if there isn't, what is that young person going to be doing? Are they going to be sitting at home? You know, this is the kind of thing that I've seen time and time again where also there's sometimes politics around um, certain heads of sixth form and leadership team not wanting, quote-unquote, certain people to come back to the sixth form. And almost just saying to me, can you just help us get rid of this person? They don't say it in so many of those kind of words, but it has almost been implied. And there is a bias towards that student. And my job is never to have a bias towards anybody when they come to me. It's about their welfare and making sure that what is best for them to help them. Um, But I do think that that is probably one of the most common myths. The other one is, you know, the old trope of, are you really qualified? Um, because we don't really know what your qualifications are. I'm laughing as I'm saying this because it's not funny. But, you know, I have had a teacher ask me that kind of awkward question before. Oh, what did you study? Oh, you know, like, and that is really, really awkward because it's almost like there is a little bit of a snobbery around, um, you know, like, your credentials and how you can help a young person and that isn't right either because I'm assuming all of the teachers who I've worked with have at least got a PG a PGCE because that is the qualification that legally (laughs) teachers are required to have or you know they've had the PGCE through Teachverse or some sort of kind of government plan but you know I'm not turning around saying to them oh, by the way, have you got a degree and have you got a master's? Because that has happened to me. It has happened to me. I have been questioned. Um, The other myth about a careers advisor as well is that, you know, I think a lot of people still just don't understand what we do. I've mentioned this at the beginning already, but people just still don't understand what we do. And they think that we just give out some like pamphlet or leaflet to a young person and that's it, job done. I'm laughing but literally that is the other misconception and the last one the last one that I think is really really kind of an important one is um, in some cases um, careers advisors are framed as the person for not encouraging a child with diverse needs whether that be a disability or learning need to succeed I've, I've heard this before where some people have turned around and they've said things like oh yeah well 
they didn't really help me in school. The careers advisor didn't really help me. Turns out the careers advisor was the maths teacher as well, and they weren't really a careers advisor. So they didn't have the training or the understanding to really sit down with a young person and be not biased towards them because they've taught that young person for the last 12 years, sorry, not last 12 years, last five years. And so all of the beliefs that they have about that young person and the unconscious bias they're projecting onto them. Oh, you want to go into medicine? Well, how are you going to go into medicine? You know, um, you're not very good in maths class or you're not very good at this or you're not very good at that. And that is the other issue, the other myth that a teacher can be a careers advisor. So I'm going to wrap this up now, but I hope this gives you much more of an understanding as to what a careers advisor is, what we do, and kind of some of the myths around how we are projected and portrayed. (laughs) Because I really kind of feel like, um, although what we do is incredibly valuable, it's valuable in schools to help people with further education and A-levels and universities, but it's also really, really valuable in universities and most people who are paying for their university um, education right right now a lot of them still don't know that they have access to a careers advisor a lot of them still don't know that there is a career service that will help them with their employability and their skills so many young people do not know about this and that is also something that I think universities um, need to do a little bit of due diligence on. I think obviously some universities are way better than this than others. But there are a lot of young people who are incredibly shy and, and too nervous to go and see a careers advisor or see an employability expert in their university. And so that's one more thing that I'm just going to end with because I feel like that's something that if you are listening to this as a university student or someone who's maybe doing their master's but isn't working at the moment, utilise the service. Utilise it because if you're paying for your course, you're entitled to that course. That's, that's there for you f- to make sure that you succeed. But ultimately, a careers advisor is helping you to progress onto the next journey, the next stage of your career journey. They're there to help, really, really help inspire you and motivate you so that you can process in the way that you want to. So I hope this episode has been insightful for you. Please let me know what you think. If you haven't subscribed already, you know what you need to do. If you haven't left us a review and you're a regular listener, please leave us a review. And thank you, as always, for listening to the podcast. I really appreciate all of you who listen to this podcast, share it, have subscribed already and left me a review. But I would really, really appreciate if you haven't left a review and you're a loyal listener, that you please take the time if you have an Apple Podcasts account to leave me a review. If you're not on Apple, as I know many of you aren't, please share it. Also, if there was a topic or if there was something that you think could really make a difference to someone, tell people about it. The more visibility this podcast has, the more difference it's going to make to people's lives and people's careers. Thanks so much.